Welcome to the AEM Education and Training Podcast, a collaboration between Brown University Emergency Medicine and the editors of the Academic Emergency Medicine Education and Training Journal. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa with Dr. Rory Merritt, and here's what we've got for you today. Today we're going to be talking about climate change. And if that seems a little strange to you for a medical education podcast, then you'd be in good company. Many of us know that climate change is a potentially catastrophic global problem, but have not really stopped to think about the intersection of medicine and climate change, and even less, how we should be addressing it in education. But today's guest, Dr. Jay Lemery, certainly has thought about it a great deal. He's here to talk about his team's new paper in AEM Education and Training entitled Science Policy Training for a New Physician Leader, Description and Framework of a Novel Climate and Health Science Policy Fellowship. Dr. Lemery is a professor of emergency medicine at the University of Colorado School of Medicine and chief of the section of wilderness and environmental medicine. He has expertise in austere and remote medical care, as well as the effects of climate change on human health. He sits on the National Academy of Medicine's Roundtable on Environmental Health Sciences Research and Medicine, and is currently the medical director for the National Science Foundation's Polar Research Program. He's consultant to the Exploration Medical Capacity Element of NASA's Human Research Program. And from 2014 to 2016, he was the EMS Medical Director for the United States Antarctic Program. And we're so pleased to have him here with us. Don't forget to read the full text of this article, available on our blog at brownemblog.com. Dr. Lemery, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks for having me. So climate change is being increasingly recognized as one of the, if not the most pressing challenges of our time, but I don't think many of us have thought much about the physician's role in climate change and related policy. So before we get into the specifics of the fellowship your institution has developed, let's talk first about why you felt there was a need for it in the first place. Just give us some perspective on the issue. How will climate change affect us as physicians and and how is it affecting public health? Well, if you think about climate change, it's really a disease of vulnerability and a disease of disaster. So first of all, there's a good intuitive fit with emergency medicine. And then, you know, if you really dive in and do an inventory, what are we talking about? We're talking about extreme weather events. We're talking about extreme heat, tropical cyclones with more energy, sea level rise and bigger storm surge. Um, longer and more intense wildfires and degraded air quality. You have issues of water security from all those things. And then um, with extreme weather, you also have issues of food security. So all these things trickle down to affect our health. And I think that it's important for care providers to understand that. I got very interested in this uh, about 10 years ago when the science of climate change became politicized And that was very concerning to me because although I think you can have fair discussions about policy, when you start confusing and politicizing the science that underlies it, that just makes us all stupid. And I began to look around and and think, where are the physicians in this conversation? And why aren't we playing a more uh, vocal role in supporting the science behind what what um, about about this phenomenon? 
and there was a conspicuous absence. And that really was what led to my journey into diving in and trying to understand this more. And then, of course, bringing it back to our house of medicine and um, trying to mobilize the formidable resources that we have. Physicians have long been champions of public health, but they've been largely silent on this issue. Why do you think that is? Yeah, it's a great question. I think part of it is, you know, physicians represent the political spectrum of America. I've heard a lot of physicians echo some of the comments like, well, we don't really know the science. We're not really sure what's causing this. Hmm. Um, So I think that's one level of hedging. And then other times I've heard physicians, you know, say, I'm a urologist or I'm a emergency physician or a pediatrician. What do I possibly know about this? So there's I think a reluctance to expand your uh, background in health knowledge to environmental health issue, or at least that's where it originated from. Mm. <clears throat> I think people, um, our physicians rather, are reluctant to go out of their expertise in that regard. When I talk about this, I say, you know, this is really, in many ways, a social issue. And the fact that you're wearing that metaphorical white coat. And I expand this to all healthcare providers to say, you know, you have an expanded role within your own friends and family, your own constituency to, to really bring light of these health issues because you are a health expert. And at, at, you know, at its core, it's really going to be uh, undermining our health. Hmm. So your fellowship launched in 2017, I think. But when did it first occur to you that a fellowship in climate and health policy science was needed? How did the idea of it come to your team? Just tell us a little bit about the backstory. For the 10 years prior, I had spent a lot of time in public health circles. A lot of it was related to global health work I had done previously. But it was interesting that the clinical aspects of climate change really weren't born to the the surface of these conversations. Mm -hmm. You know, public health deals with populations and uh, big numbers. As an emergency physician, I think the stories we could tell really helped the communication angle. You know, we know sickness. This is sickness. And to be able in these big groups, and whether they were other public health experts or people, members of the community, to describe what it's like to watch an 11-year-old succumb to a bad air day and have a you know really nasty asthma attack or talking about you know workers on the hottest day of the year having heat stroke or you know the disasters that we've seen with urban floods and so forth um, it was a level of science communication that I think that was relatively new and I began to think you know we need more clinicians in this conversation and part of that also is that we still hold the public trust when we say to our patients, hey, you need, to, you need to take this drug, you need to get this surgery, generally our patients say to us, okay, doc, you know, second opinions notwithstanding, they basically uh, assume that we're acting in their best interest, which is a very rare thing in contemporary society. So I, I think what I began to understand is that we have a very powerful role to play in shaping public opinion, particularly as it pertains to health. And where historically the climate messaging had been messaged as altruism, right? Save, you know, save the whales, love Mother Earth, or abstractions. You know, we just exceeded 400 parts of, you know, parts per million of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Those appeal to us in different ways, 
but in my opinion, none more powerful than explaining the risk of our parents uh, succumbing to chronic lung disease worsening by uh, climate-related events or our kids' uh, risk of asthma. And so I thought there was a great need for some aspect of formal training. And I think um, the world that I had been educated in, you know, the fellowship mechanism was one that was a well-worn path. And then when presented the opportunity to to move forward with further training, how do we do this? I thought, you know, we should take talented young physicians just out of residency and give them some skill sets and uh, connectivity with a larger world of uh, working in climate and health, because I think that world needs people like that. Fantastic. So the fellowship is within the Department of Emergency Medicine, but one could really argue that any specialty has an interest in and has stake in this. Why specifically emergency medicine to start with? And, and what do you think differentiates this from other GME science policy fellowships? So I'll just tell you, I think in regards to emergency medicine, you know, climate change is a disease of vulnerability and disasters. So there's no other field that's as comfortable with both of those issues as emergency medicine. So my contention is we're going to lead on this whether we like it or not. Mm. You're absolutely right that there is nothing particularly specific other than what I just said to EM, you know, and I've actually had gynecologists and dermatologists and internists ask me, can we do your fellowship? At this point, we don't have a good mechanism for that. And it came out of emergency medicine because that's just where I am. And it was a, a way I could launch this within my own department with, you know, readily available resources. Great. So you go through the process of fellowship development in this paper, and it's it's so very interesting. It really is like you're inventing a new and needed medical specialty of its own in some ways. Um, can you walk us briefly through the process that you outline in the paper? Yeah, you know, this this was interesting because it was one of those things where we had an opportunity from a very engaged donor mm. to say, what can we do to what can we do together? And I had a very talented senior resident who had been working on this, these issues with us. And immediately I thought of, boy, wouldn't it be great if we could launch this fellowship with some support? Um, we had thought about the fellowship without that support, you know, in a very well-worn emergency medicine fellowship paradigm. You know, there's administration, EMS, you know, ultrasound, wilderness medicine fellowships out there. But immediately I said, oh yeah, let's, let's do this and here, let's do this fellowship and here's, here's the idea for it. And so we actually kind of created the fellowship through this opportunity. And then luckily we had, you know, many months to pull it together. And we said, okay, at this point, we, how do we define competencies? How do we begin to build a, uh, a core set of, of skills around it? And so, um, you know, we got talented people together. And um, we looked at best practice guidelines for medical curriculum development. And you said, okay, this is the proper structure to do it. And these are the boxes we need to check to make sure that this can be properly peer reviewed and accepted. Um, and that's kind of what we did. Uh, we were careful in the paper to say, look, we have particular strengths at the University of Colorado and our particular network. I have friends that work in this, but they're my friends and you know, I'm connected to them just out of serendipity in many, in many regards. So we were careful to say, look, this is just one version of what this fellowship could look like. And we were careful not to say, because we did it this way, this is now this, the gold standard. And we really tried to stick to large concepts um, of what we hoped future fellowships could replicate and that ours, and this is how we 
did it here at, at CU. And then, um, you know, we had two years of a very uh, a wonderful fellow who was, was very flexible in her approach to working with us. And, you know, very much, you know, she's actually still now on board with us as a uh, assistant fellowship director, but it was, you know, the joint project to say, hey, let's do this together. We need your feedback as the first fellow. And I think that's a precondition. You need somebody who's willing to take the risk and craft with you as opposed to somebody who expects to have something, you know, um, uh, to, to have something well-worn. It just clearly wasn't the case at that time. Right. So just give us some examples of the some of the goals and objectives you listed for the fellowship. They're sort of, you know, new and innovative. Yeah, one of them was just to have fluency. So well beyond health was just you have to understand what's out there in the in the in the world of climate change and health. You have to know the relevant compacts. You have to know the government agencies who are doing that work mm. and how they overlap and what their mandates are. You've got to know the relevant documents, you know, uh, the National Climate Assessment, the uh, Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, who they are, how they became to be, and what documents they, they put out, because those are really the core documents that define um, much of the science. And then one of the, um, the last competencies we said is that you have to be an excellent communicator, because we felt like that was one of the big skills. This is not a research fellowship. We don't have that time or resources to do um, research methodology. That's a very different um, species. Mm-hmm. So, But we wanted our fellows to be confident on the podium, to be able to write well, to be able to churn out op-eds, to be savvy with social media, um, because that's truly the, you know, the contemporary ways we communicate. And we wanted them to be leaders in the field. That's what this whole thing is about, you know, um, churning out leaders in the field. And they have to have those skill sets to be, to do, be able to do that effectively. That's great. I think that's extraordinarily forward thinking. So tell us, though, what the challenges have been so far in setting up this new fellowship. Like, what would you describe as the biggest obstacles to your overall goal? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, one of the things was at first we wanted to bring everyone into the tent because we have such a a deep bench of Mm -hmm. investors and stakeholders in this fellowship. But they come from different places. They come from government. They come from basic science. They come from public health and clinical medicine, many uh, departments different than uh, emergency medicine. And they also come from environmental science. So while that makes for a very rich, robust uh, group to mentor and to, to, to have this fellow connected with, you know, you can imagine all these disciplines do not agree on, on how to approach this. And so that was... Uh, One challenge we had was just, you know, when do I as fellowship director stop asking um, for their input and when do I just make decisions? And, you know, that takes a great degree of um, political acumen of which I don't have as much as I would have liked. Um, So, but that was one thing to kind of keep the, you know, keep it together and uh, make sure that you have uh, buy-in, but at the same point, you have to eventually make decisions and move forward. And I think the other thing is that within our field of emergency medicine, there's a great deal of skepticism. Um, I've talked to people, uh, potential fellows, you know, senior residents who have said, boy, I'd like to do this, but I just don't, I just don't know. You know, my advisor says it's really, they don't know why I'm doing this. They don't know why I would ever do this. It seems like a waste of time. Um, and so I think- Well, it seems like you really need someone who has a passion for it. And you 
will find those people, right? For sure. You, you need them with a passion, but then they also have to be grounded and, um, you know, you need the right type of person. This is a, a fellowship like this necessitates a great deal of independence and a great deal of self-motivation. And so mm-hmm. it's not the fellowship that will spoon feed a fellow, right? Um, right. Much of the negotiation I had with our um, benefactor was like, we need a travel budget. And many, you know, many donors don't like giving money for travel. They think it's something we could, you know, they just don't like spending money on it. But, you know, there's no substitute for our fellows to be in the room in Washington, D.C., where these policies are being made and being able to be there and have FaceTime and connectivity. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, to, you know, to your point, it's uh, it was it was challenging, but, you know, passion is absolutely a prerequisite. So. So finally, to wrap things up here, let's put our optimist hat on. What would you like to see come next? Like, what is your grand vision for how fellowships such as this could affect policy on climate change and and what happens in the next 50 years? We need more, um, the more the merrier. And, you know, this year we're expanding to Harvard and we're doing it in a, um, in a consortium manner where the fellows are actually going to be sharing resources and have some shared uh, administration. So we all kind of have a good sense of uh, who's doing what and how do we um, empower one another. Um, I think we want to grow in a sensible manner, but I think growth is is important because we need the more hands on deck, the better. Mm-hmm. Um, here's the deal. Right now in America, about half of the people are, are, and maybe this has changed in a year or two, but about half of Americans don't think this is our own fault. And those that do don't think there's anything to do about it. So what I think we need to do is to shift risk assessment hmm. and say, this is a problem. If hmm. we all agree there's a problem, then we can have meaningful conversations on policy. If you're from West Virginia and you're from a community of, of minors, right, we absolutely have to address what these people, how do they, these people transition to other jobs and to, and to take care of these people. I get that. That's an issue of policy. That is not my expertise. I'm a health, I'm a health expert. But until we all agree there's a problem, um, we just can't hope for any solutions. And so that's really where, where I'm at is, is, to, is to educate and have people be fluent in these health risks because then we actually have a motivation to change. Well, thank you so much for your work in this area. I really think it's pioneering and I'm really hoping that um, great things come from it. So thanks for your time. Very much appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this AEM education and training podcast. Again, the full text of this article is available on our blog at brownemblog.com. Open access for a limited time. Hear all our podcasts on iTunes. Search for AEM Early Access, all one word. Today's music is by Scott Holmes. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa, and we'll see you next time.
the phone. Man, sorry about that. All right, so hopefully that will, that'll work because we have the backup, but, and I will uh, keep this guy going. I'm going to get it. Okay, I am recording from this end. I um, Let's not do it again, and you can maybe just, before we hang up, you can listen to it. Um, but it was pretty, and I think that should be good. Oh yeah, just so I will may want to do that again because I did list a little inventory in my answer. Yeah, um, yeah. And so I just said, but you can, yeah. Again, you can sort of look through it real quick. But yeah, it's a great question. I think part of it is, you know, physicians represent the political spectrum of America, and I think. Um, I've heard a lot of physicians, um, you know, echo some of the comments like, well, we don't really know the science. We're not really sure what's causing this. Um, so I think that's one level of hedging. And then other times I've heard physicians, you know, say, I, I'm a urologist or I'm a emergency physician or a pediatrician. What do I possibly know about this? So there's, I think, a reluctance to expand your uh, background in health knowledge to, you know, the environment, an environmentally health, environmental health issue, or at least that's where it originated from. <clears throat> I think people, um, or physicians rather, are reluctant to go out of their expertise in that regard. Um, when I talk about this, I say, you know, this is really, in many ways, a social issue. And the fact that you're wearing that metaphorical white coat and I expand this to all healthcare providers to say, you know, you have an expanded role within your own friends and family, your own constituency to, to really bring light of these health issues because you are a health expert. And at, at, you know, at its core, it's really going to be uh, undermining our health. For the about the ten years prior, I had been uh, immersing myself in you know traditional domains of public health, and it came out of just a passion and an interest. I had done some modest work in global health when I was at my previous job, and it sort of extended from there. Um, I realized that we as Sorry, I lost my train of thought. Sorry about that. Can you, can you say that one more time? Yeah. Yeah. We... Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. For the 10 years prior, I had spent a lot of time in public health circles um, a lot of it was related to global health work I had done previously. Um, but it was interesting that the clinical 
aspects of climate change really weren't born to the, the surface of these conversations. You know, public health deals with populations and uh, big numbers. Um, as an emergency physician, I think the stories we could tell um, really helped the communication angle. You know, we know sickness. This is sickness. And to be able in these big groups, and whether they were other public health experts or people, members of the community, to describe what it's like to watch an 11-year-old succumb to a bad air day and have a you know really nasty asthma attack, or talking about you know workers on the hottest day of the year having heat stroke, or you know the disasters that we've seen with urban floods and so forth. Um, it was a level of science communication that I think um, that was relatively new. And I began to think, you know, we need more clinicians in this conversation. And part of that also is that, you know, we still hold the public trust. You know, we, um, when we say to our patients, hey, you need, you need to take this drug, you need to get this surgery, generally our patients say to us, okay, doc, you know, second opinions notwithstanding, they basically... Uh, assume that we're acting in their best interest, which is a very rare thing um, in contemporary society. So I, I think what I began to understand is that we have a very powerful role to play in shaping public opinion, particularly as it pertains to health. And where historically the climate messaging had been um, messaged as altruism, right? Save, you know, save the whales, love Mother Earth, or abstractions. You know, we just exceeded 400 parts of, you know, parts per million of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. You know, those appeal to us in different ways, but in my opinion, none more powerful than explaining, you know, the risk of our parents uh, succumbing to chronic lung disease worsening by uh, climate-related events or our kids' uh, risk of asthma. And so I thought, there was a great need for some aspect of formal training. And I think um, the world that I had um, been educated in, you know, the fellowship mechanism was one that was a well-worn path. And then when presented the opportunity to, to move forward with further training, how do we do this? I thought, you know, we should take talented young physicians just out of residency and give them um, some skill sets and, uh, um, connectivity with the larger world of uh, working in climate and health, because I think that world needs people like that. Yeah, I'll just, so I'll just tell you, I think, you know, I'll say it again, in regards to eat emergency medicine, you know, climate change is a disease of vulnerability and disasters. So there's no other field that's as comfortable with both of those issues as emergency medicine. So my contention is we're going to lead on this, whether we like it or not. You're absolutely right that there is nothing particularly specific other than what I just said to EM, you know, and I've actually had gynecologists and dermatologists um, and internists ask me, can we do your fellowship? Um, at this point, we don't have a good mechanism for that. And it came out of emergency medicine because that's just where I am. And it was a, a way I could launch this within my own department with, you know, readily available resources.
Yeah, you know, this this was interesting because it was one of those things where we had an opportunity from a very engaged donor to say, what can we do to get, what can we do together? And I had a very talented senior resident who had been working on this these issues with us. And immediately I thought of, boy, wouldn't it be great if we could launch this fellowship with some support? Um, we had thought about the fellowship without that support, you know, in a very well-worn um, emergency medicine fellowship paradigm. You know, there's administration, EMS, you know, ultrasound, wilderness medicine fellowships out there. Um, but immediately I said, oh, yeah, let's let's do this and here uh, let's do this fellowship. And here's here's the idea for it. And so. Um, we actually kind of created the fellowship through this opportunity. And then um, luckily we had, you know, many months to pull it together. And we said, okay, at this point, we, how do we define competencies? How do we um, begin to build a, uh, a core set of, um, of skills around it? And so, um, you know, we got talented people together and um, we looked at best practice guidelines for medical curriculum development. And you said, okay, this is the proper structure to do it. And these are the boxes we need to check to make sure that this can be properly peer reviewed and accepted. Um, and that's kind of what we did. Uh, we were careful in the paper to say, look, we have particularly strength, particular strengths at the University of Colorado and our particular network. I have friends that work in this, but they're my friends. And, you know, there is, um, there, I'm connected to them just to, just out of serendipity in many in many um, in many regards. So we were careful to say, look, this is just one version of what this fellowship could look like, and we were careful not to say because we did it this way. This is now this the gold standard, and we really tried to stick to large concepts um, of what we hoped future fellowships could replicate, and that ours and this is how we did it here at, at CU. Um, and then, um, you know, we had two years of a very, uh, um, uh, a wonderful fellow who was, was very flexible in her approach to working with us. And, you know, very much, you know, she's actually still now on board with us as a, uh, assistant fellowship director, but it was, you know, the joint project to say, Hey, let's do this together. We need your feedback as the first fellow. Um, and I think that's a precondition. You need somebody who's willing to take the risk and craft with you as opposed to somebody who expects to have something, you know, um, uh, to, to have something well-worn. That just clearly wasn't the case at that time. Yeah, one of them was just to have fluency. So well beyond health was just, you have to understand what's out there in the, in the, um, in the world of um, climate change and health, you have to know the relevant compacts. You have to know the government agencies who are doing that work, and how they overlap, and how they um, and what their mandates are. You've got to know the relevant documents. You know uh, the National Climate Assessment, um, the uh, Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, who they are, how they became to be, and what documents um, the they put out. Um, because those are really the core documents that define um, much of the science. And then one of the, um, the last competencies we said is that you have to be an excellent communicator. 
because we felt like that was one of the big skills. This is not a research fellowship. We don't have that time or resource to do um, research methodology. That's a very different um, species. So, but we wanted our fellows to be confident on the podium, to be able to write well, to be able to churn out op-eds, to be savvy with social media, um, because that's truly the, you know, the contemporary ways we communicate. And we wanted them to be leaders in the field. That's what this whole thing is about, you know, um, churning out leaders in the field. And they have to have those skill sets to be, to do, be able to do that effectively. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, one of the things was at first we wanted to bring everyone into the tent because we have such a, a deep bench of uh, investors and stakeholders in this fellowship. Um, but they come from different places. They come from government. They come from basic science. They come from public health and clinical medicine. Many um, uh, departments different than uh, emergency medicine. And they also come from environmental science. Um so while that makes for a very rich, robust um, uh, group to mentor and to, to, to have this fellow connected with, you know, you can imagine all these disciplines do not agree on, on how to approach this. And so that was uh, one challenge we had was just, you know, when do I as fellowship director stop asking um, for their input and when do I just make decisions? And, you know, that takes a great degree of, um, political acumen of which I don't have as much as I would have liked. Um, so, but that was one thing to kind of keep the, you know, keep it together and uh, make sure that you have uh, buy-in, but at the same point you have to eventually make decisions and move forward. And I think the other thing is, is that um, within our field of emergency medicine, there's a great deal of skepticism. Um, I've talked to people, uh, potential fellows, you know, uh, if you, uh, senior residents who said, boy, I'd like to do this, but I just don't, I just don't know. You know, my advisor says it's really, uh, they don't know why I'm doing this. They don't know why I would ever do this. It seems like a waste of time. Um, and so I think. Yeah, no, for sure. You, you need them with a passion, but then they also have to be grounded and, um, you know, you need the right type of person. This is a, the, a fellowship like this necessitates a great deal of independence and a great deal of self-motivation. And so it's not the fellowship that will spoon feed a fellow, right? Um, much of the negotiation I had with our um, benefactor was like, we need a travel budget. And many, you know, many donors don't like giving money for travel. They think it's something we could, you know, they just don't like spending money on it. But, you know, there's no substitute for our fellows to be in the room in Washington, D.C., where these policies are being made and being able to be there and have FaceTime and connectivity. So, um, yeah, I mean, to, you know, to your point, it's uh, it was it was challenging, but, you know, passion is absolutely a prerequisite. So. We need more, um, the more the merrier. And, you know, this year we're expanding to Harvard and we're doing it in a, um, in a consortium manner where the fellows are actually going to be sharing resources and have some shared uh, administration. So we all kind of have 
you know, have a good sense of uh, who's doing what and how do we, um, how do we uh, empower one another. Um, and so I think um, we want to grow in a sensible manner, but I think growth is, is important because we need the more hands on deck, the better. Um, here's the deal. Um, right now in America, about half of the people are, are, and maybe this has changed in a year or two, but about half of Americans don't think this is our own fault. Um, and those that do don't think there's anything to do about it, right? Um, or think there's not much to do about it. So what I think we need to do is to shift risk assessment and say, this is a problem. If we all agree there's a problem, then we can have meaningful conversations on policy. Um, if you're from West Virginia and you're from a community of, of minors, right, we absolutely have to address <clears throat> what these people, how do they, these people transition to other jobs and to, and to take care of these people. I get that. That's an issue of policy. That is not my expertise. I'm a health, my health expert. But until we all agree there's a problem, um, we just can't hope for any solutions. And so that's really where, where I'm at is, is, to, is to educate and have people be fluent in these health risks because then we actually have a motivation to change. Very much appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah.